wrong at times. At least mine are. People you work with are going to break confidence. You're going to find it difficult in certain relationships to trust people. But no one has ever chosen to trust God and it end up in vain. And so that's the big idea this morning. What I want to do, I want to kind of look at four quick things. And then if you will, in your Bibles, go ahead and go to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2. So as you're doing that this morning, let me kind of give us just some highlights of how is God faithful? How is his faithfulness described in Scripture? One of the places is in Deuteronomy chapter 7. It's in verse 9. And the word of the Lord reads this way. It says, Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God. Meaning no one like him. The faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments not for a day, not for a week, but to a thousand generations. Meaning God makes a promise, he says something, and he will always keep it. There's never a promise he's going to break. And I love that description, to a thousand generations. And we have to be thinking, why would the author pick that description? Well, a generation is about 30 years. Meaning, if you took it literally, that God is faithful to his word for 30,000 years. But then we've got to be thinking, well, that just still seems like a time that you could wrap your mind around. But I think what the author is trying to tell us is that there will never be a moment that you live here on earth that you can't trust God. If you could live for 30,000 in one years, then maybe you'd have a case. But for 30,000 years, meaning there'll never be a time in your life or my life that God can't be trusted with his word. But not only does God's word describe his faithfulness and measurements of time, also in space. Psalm 36, 5 says, Your steadfast love, O Lord, it extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Meaning that God's faithfulness is beyond us. It, it spans us. It covers us. And I think it means this, that there is never, not a moment that you'll live that, you can't trust God. But also, there's never a season of life that you'll be in. Graduating high school or college. Trying to figure out, maybe getting married. I heard that recently. Trying to figure out the next stage of life. Raising children. And I hear often about the blessings of being grandparents. Man, God's faithfulness is in every stage of life that we are experiencing. Trying to make it through high school going to college, getting married, raising children, finally being grandparents, the twilight years, that God's faithfulness is in every stage of life. But not only is it described in time and space, I love this. Before you ever opened your eyes this morning, something was waiting for you. Lamentations 3. The steadfast love of the Lord says he never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Just let that sink in. You'll never reach the end of his faithfulness. But they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Meaning before we woke up this morning, God's faithfulness was sitting there waiting on us to get up. 
You know, but think about your day. Think about uh, thinking about my day. Man, we never know if we're even going to get to school on time, if we're going to find the shoes. Man, we never know if today's going to be the day that we have the money to pay that bill. Man, we never know if today's going to be the day you receive word that, hey, you no longer have employment here. Or something good. Hey, today's the day you get a promotion. Or we've got a family member right now sitting waiting. Is the doctor going to call tomorrow? And what's going to be the news? That we all have these moments that no matter what is going on, no matter what the day might hold, God's faithfulness was already there. Already there waiting to cover us. So not only does God's faithfulness reach generations and space and is waiting on us each and every day, his, He will be faithful when no one else is. The last one, Romans 3, 3. It begins with the question, what if some are unfaithful? Does the faithfulness of God, does it, does it then get nullified? And the answer is absolutely not. And man, I think some of us sitting right here, we've experienced a lot of unfaithfulness around. But if every single person in our lives is unfaithful, God says, I'm the one you can trust. And we've all experienced that in some way or another. And we've even probably been the one that in some way or another has been the unfaithful. But no matter who is unfaithful to us, God says, you can always count on me. And so now I want to go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And it's this great passage. We're going to begin in... Verse 8, and Paul is writing to a younger man named Timothy. And they've got this great relationship. I mean, Timothy looks up to Paul. He sees him as a mentor, as a confidant, someone that he can look up to to lead him. And Paul looks at young Timothy with so much potential. He wants Timothy to grow up and to be a pillar in the church. Paul wants to pour his life into him to watch Timothy rise up and to be who God's called him to be. But there's a problem. Is Paul sitting in prison and he's not expecting to get out. And I think Timothy is terrified. I mean, his confidant, his teacher, his mentor, leader is sitting in prison and all reports is Paul's not going to make it out this time. Timothy has to be thinking, well, what next? Why would God be allowing this man that is setting the world on fire with the gospel? Why is he sitting in prison? I think Timothy's thinking, I need Paul in my life. I don't want to do this, and I don't think I can do this without Paul. So he's going to write to Timothy, and he wants him to know, to believe, and to trust in something. And it begins in verse 8. He says, Timothy, I need you to remember something. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. And so what Paul is doing, he is taking Timothy back to the most important thing in his life. I think Timothy's life seems to be kind of spinning out of control. I mean, the person that he looks up to and he admires and he's got a tremendous amount of respect and faith in, he's now sitting in prison expecting death. He's thinking, what in the world are we going to do? Why is God allowing this to happen? But Paul is reminding Timothy not to focus on the circumstances that he's looking at. I need you to focus on the most important thing. 
And he's saying, Timothy, the most important thing is not that you have children and they grow up to be well-behaved and everybody wants their kids to be like your kids. It's not that you find great fulfillment in the trade that you learned from your father. It's not that you have more money than you know what to do with. It's not finding a soulmate. It's not retiring in comfort. The most important thing in your life is that Jesus Christ came, dwelt among us, died, and was raised again. And nothing in the world will come to even being close to being more important than that. I mean, think about that. All the things we chase and get involved in. He says, Timothy, there is nothing more important than that truth. And so he's saying, young Timothy, don't lose focus. So he's encouraging to push back against all the circumstances that he's seeing to remember the most important thing. And then he goes on to say in verse 9, Because of that for which I am suffering, bound in chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. So he says, look at the picture, Timothy. I'm sitting here bound in these chains. I don't know if I'm going to get out or not, but I have faith that nothing can bind up, chain up, or close in the word of the Lord. And he says, it's not because I'm so gifted. It's not because I'm so courageous. It's because nothing is more powerful or greater than the word of the Lord. And that it can be trusted. He says, have faith, young Timothy. And then in verse 10, he tells him, he says, therefore, because that God's word can be trusted no matter what, I will endure everything that the world throws at me for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Meaning when a person realizes that Jesus Christ is the most important thing in life, everything seems to change. They see themselves differently. They see each other differently. And I have to tell you, y'all are the friendliest campus we have. Could y'all come and train us in that? And that's what happens when, when you realize what is most important in life. You begin kind of taking a back seat. And you begin seeing others differently. And then I think what happens is we begin to see the things of the world like possessions and, and comfort and accomplishments I mean, those begin to fade into the background when we see that nothing comes close to being more important than who Jesus is. And I think Paul has that perspective. This allows him to say, I will endure all of this and more for the sake of other people getting to have what I have. The joy and the freedom that can only come in knowing Christ. And this is what I'm beginning to realize, that the more God's word takes hold of me and the more God's word takes hold of other people, the less we hold on to the things of this world. So then Paul describes in detail his relationship with Christ. Look at verse 11. He says, this saying is trustworthy, meaning you can bank on this, Timothy. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. And I think Paul's saying if death comes for me, I am totally okay with that. Because death can take everything in this world away from me. But it brings me face to face with the one that is more important. And he says, Jesus defeated sin and death, rendering them powerless over me. 
That death alone longer has power over believers in Jesus Christ. And Paul says, no matter what, this truth can be trusted, Timothy, because God is faithful. I mean, that should bring incredible comfort and joy that he is always faithful. Even faithful to bring you through death and straight to him. Meaning, if we die trusting Jesus Christ, we get to reign with him forever. And Paul is saying, bring it on, world, because you might take my life, but it brings me something even greater. But then we have to be careful with this next part. As you see, we like the promises that seem to be the good things. We like, you know, he'll never leave me or forsake me. We like that he will present me blameless at his coming. We like the the blessing of the promises that bring blessings, but God is also one that keeps his word of warning. He's not like a parent that makes an empty threat, that God always keeps his word. So look at how it begins in verse 12. It begins with the good news. If we endure, we will also reign with him. And what a great promise to rest in. But in the next part comes as a severe warning. If we deny him, he will also deny us. And it's a quote from Matthew chapter 10, verse 33, where Jesus says, Whoever denies me before men, I will deny, my fa- deny them before my Father who is in heaven. And that is meant to be a severe warning. But I want to be careful. Is Paul saying that if you have a hard time trusting God, that he's going to deny you? And the answer is no. Is Paul saying that if you've ever questioned your faith, that God will ever deny you? And the answer is no. Is Paul saying that if you've ever strayed from walking the the straight and narrow, that he will deny you? And the answer is no. Well, we have to understand that this is a threat of lostness. It's not a promise of salvation. And I think Paul, Paul is referring to is what's called the danger of apostasy. And I think the classic example is Judas. Man, Judas looked like a disciple. He walked with the disciples. He was seen following Jesus. But at the end, you see, he was one that truly didn't know him. He never trusted Jesus. And so Paul is saying, if we deny Jesus, if we reject his call to come and to repent and to find salvation, if we reject that, that he will deny us. And it's a threat of remaining lost in our sin. But the truth is, is God will save anyone that will turn and believe in him, put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The promise is that, yes, I will save them. So then comes the promise of all promises. In verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. And I think the classic example is who we looked at a few weeks ago with Peter. Do you find Peter, after he's denied Jesus three times, and he is completely distraught. Man, he is discouraged. And what does he go back doing? The only thing he knows to do, to fish. And here he is sitting around that charcoal fire, and Jesus comes up and appears to him. And you know the story. He says, Peter, do you love me? And I believe Peter said, I don't think my words mean much, but yes. I know it's hard to believe, but I do. 
And how many times did he deny him? Three times. And how many times did Jesus ask him, do you love me? Three times. He's showing him, Peter, I mean, you may think you have all the faith in the world, but what is important is not the amount of faith you have. It's the one that you place it in. And we see that Peter was faithful. That God was faithful to him, even when his faith was fragile and frail, that he discovered that God had never given up on him. So Timothy's face is being tempted. Man, he's a man that he looked up to. Here he is sitting in prison, not expecting to get out. And I think he thought that they were going to continue on and on and on together. But Paul wanted Timothy to know that no matter what happens to me, that Timothy, you can trust God because he is faithful. And he wanted him to know that if he trusted God, man, Timothy, if you will just trust him, no matter what it feels like or looks like, if you will trust God, I think he's saying, Timothy, it'll never be in vain. And here's what happens. You can turn in your Bible from Genesis 1 all the way through the book of Revelation, and you know what you will never find? You'll never find a person that trusted God that it turned out in vain. You can't do it. There's not a single person in Scripture that trusted God that it turned out in vain. So let me ask us this morning. Where in your life or you needing to kind of trust God? Where's an area you find it hard to step out and really trust God to move heaven and earth? Then maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in singleness. Parenting, wanting to have children, a new stage of life, a job or finances, a health situation. I mean, we all have areas that we know Man, I just have to trust God. And it is hard to give up control. But the truth is, is that no matter what we're going through, no matter where we are, we have to be able to hear Scripture boldly proclaim over and over again, no one has ever trusted God in vain. And here's the promise. You won't be the first. Because no one that ever trusts God will it turn out in vain. So coming here this morning... It brings up so many memories that I love that five years ago, almost five years ago, on August the 11th, we launched the White House campus of Bethel. And I want you to know I was excited. In the same time, I was more terrified of anything in my life. Man, I had gotten really comfortable where I was. I was leading certain ministries, a family ministry. Man, I would gotten comfortable in that, and it seemed to fit my gifts, and, and I liked it, and Man, in a lot of ways, it kind of came easy. And I got real comfortable. And then there was, this was placed before me. Hey, would you like to consider doing this? And I went, you know, I was absolutely terrified. I'd never done anything like that. I'd never stepped out and led a campus. And I began thinking, what happens if this thing fails? Man, what happens if this church doesn't make it? Would Bethel even have a place for me anymore? And I was terrified. Man, it, we began praying and gathering in our home and fasting. Man, we began doing everything we knew to do for this to happen. But it was almost go time. And I remember having no place to meet. And me and Fritz Hager went and met with the guy. All we knew to do was to get some office space. 
So we met or in a place that was a closed-down barbershop. So something else had failed in White House. So that wasn't reassuring. <laughs> so we're meeting with the landlord, and he says, well, you know, I've got 2,800 square feet in the back of a building that used to be, I think, a gymnastics place. And almost five years later, we're still meeting there. It's turned out to be a great facility. We had no one to lead worship. Started meeting with the guy, came to our home, and he said, well, I play a little bit of guitar. And that really means he plays a little bit or he's really, really good. I said, okay, well, where have you played before? And he said, well, I've played in the nursery at the South Campus. I thought, oh, my goodness. Well, at least we could do Jesus Loves Me. <laughs> and this is the honest truth. You could ask him today. We played the same six songs for like ten weeks. People were begging for something new. And I said, this is all we know. But it was so great to watch them get better and better and better. You know what Drew told me? He said, this is all I know. I know like five or six chords now. And he said, I've played in the nursery, but if this is what we need, I'm willing to step out and allow God to use me. We needed someone to lead an adult Bible study. Met with a man named Corey. And Corey said, listen, I've never led a, an adult Bible study but I will take a chance. I don't feel equipped. I don't feel adequate, but I will step out and do that. And he turned into a phenomenal teacher. We need somebody to lead and step in to love our youth. Met with a couple, and they said, uh, man, we've worked with kids, but teenagers terrify us. And they said, but you know what? If this is what we need to do, man, we will step out and we will try something new that absolutely scares us to death, that we don't feel like we can do on our own. And that couple's been doing that for three and a half years now. And what was so exciting was time after time watching people step out and do something that they didn't feel like they could do, to step out and try something new. And so here's the danger that I feel now five years later. It's easy to get comfortable. It's easy to do the things that come easy. It's easy to do the things that really like we can do, and then at the end, oh, yeah, God, don't forget to bless that. But the problem is we can get too comfortable, even too easy. Because we like living. I like living in that comfort. I was comfortable what I was doing. But the danger is getting too comfortable. So here's the question I want us leaving asking. What am I doing for Christ that I don't feel like I can do on my own? What am I doing that I don't feel like I'm equipped to do, that I feel like I can't do in my own strength? What can I be doing for Christ that absolutely terrifies me? You know, I even heard this morning, hey, we're needing some more people to step into uh, hospitality and greeting and those sort of things. And I know there are needs all over the campus. So the challenge would be step out and do something that terrifies you. I think Ricky would tell you, man, when we started, you know, several, several months ago now, almost a year ago it seems like, I was scared to death, wondering what's going to happen. Even here, what about in our neighborhoods? And that neighbor that's been down the street that we know we've needed to go and invite over. That family member that we need to make things right with. Maybe God calling us to step out in a, a brand new ministry in our community. I mean, I'm so excited that uh, the Gospel Village with the Mentoring Alliance is coming to White House. 
been praying about that for two years, meeting with Carlton. I mean, challenging people. Step out and do something that might make you uncomfortable. Step out and do something you don't know how it might work out. So step out and do something that terrifies you. Begin something that you don't feel like you're equipped to do. and Step out and trust God and then watch His faithfulness completely overwhelm you. Because here's what you'll discover that I will discover. No one has ever trusted God in vain. And man, that is a terrifying and a very exciting time to live in when you have to trust God to come through. And doesn't He always do that? And so if you will, I want us to pray, and then we're going to open up a time for an invitation to respond to God's leading in our life. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I do thank you for, first of all, your, your word as a whole, and that it can always be trusted, that it is all true.